So we're taking a break from our, our series that we were working through the Gospel of Mark. We've got a couple of uh, sermons to, to finish off the Gospel of Mark, which we'll get on to next year. Uh, but we're taking some time uh, to think back about Jesus' birth uh, into this world and its significance to us. And over between now and up to Christmas Day, we'll be looking at passages from the early parts of Luke's Gospel. Um, and then on Boxing Day, because Christmas this year is on a Saturday, um, we're looking at a passage from Colossians chapter 2, because after we spent all this time talking about the gift of Christ come into the world, um, we're going to look at, like you do when you receive any gift, is now that you've got it, what do you do with it? So that's kind of the trajectory where we're headed with our uh, Christmas series this year. So let's come before the Lord in prayer and pray that he might speak to us through his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can call you Father because your Son entered into the mess of this world to deal with the problem of our sin that kept us from you and from your good and perfect blessings. One of your many blessings to us is your word given to us. That is, every single page of it is profitable for us. For teaching, correcting, exhorting, training in righteousness that we might be equipped for every good work. Lord, I pray that some of our familiarity with the events surrounding the birth of Christ might not cause us to become complacent or to switch off. I also pray too that the way that some people have spoken about Mary would not cause us to switch off for thinking, oh, we won't do any of that Mary stuff either. But Lord, as we say, all of your word is profitable. And we pray that we might learn and be transformed by the very things that you have given to us for that purpose. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Friday night, we had our, our Christmas carols here and uh, to Sarah, Nancy, and everyone who helped put that event together. That was a fantastic event. It wasn't just, I mean, you could say it was a fantastic event for a first effort, but that was a fantastic event for a tenth effort. But it was also what I realised the first time that I have played guitar since our Christmas service in 2018 good three-year gap there. And when I was talking about that with people throughout the weeks leading up to it, knowing that I was playing guitar at the carol service, a number of people asked me, do you miss playing guitar? And part of me is kind of like, not really, particularly I'm not that excited about playing other people's songs. But I do miss writing songs. I used to do that regularly, haven't done it once since we've been married, which is now 10 years. And also recently I finished watching the whole eight and a half hours of that Get Back documentary of the Beatles there in the, in the studio um, trying to record their final album which ended up being called Let It Be. And just watching the whole interactions as, as they're writing songs and it kind of got me all excited about the idea of it again. Because music can be a really powerful way to express something from within. I think all of us can bear witness to the fact that sometimes there are songs that just touch us in a way that if it was just something we read on a piece of paper, it's not quite the same. And today we're looking 
uh, with a primary focus on a song that Mary wrote, often referred to as the Magnificat. And even though it's, we refer to it as being a song, even though it doesn't actually call it a song anywhere in Luke's Gospel, it's got all of the form of it. And also you need to consider that the majority of Psalms don't call themselves a song, um, yet we, we, we accept that they were songs in that sense. But in this song, it is an expression of her humble lowliness, of her adoration of God, and her rejoicing in his abundant provisions. Now, over the next three messages from the early chapters of Luke's Gospel, we'll be looking at Jesus' birth. And just to give us a little bit of a background into the Gospel of Luke and the way in which he introduces it, by saying, and as much and as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed these things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So at the time which Luke's writing, it's some 30 years after Jesus Christ had, had been crucified on the cross and been raised to new life, everyone has heard about him. And Luke says he made a very concerted effort to engage with eyewitness accounts to make sure he gets all of the details preserved in writing that you may have certainty regarding these things which have happened. The very fact that someone would undertake that pursuit suggests that the things that he's recording are important. These are things that we, that we need to know. It's been some 400 years since the people of God had heard a word from God and now things are starting to stir a little bit. First we have Zechariah who was a priest and his wife Elizabeth. They were both old in years. Elizabeth was barren. They hadn't had any children. And one year when Zechariah was serving as priest and had the role of going in with incense, the angel Gabriel appeared to him saying that I've heard your prayers your wife, Elizabeth, will have a child. Even though she was barren, even though they were old in age, she will have a child. And by the Holy Spirit, he will turn a people back to the Lord. Now, anticipation would start to get a little bit high now been 400 years since they've had a word from God and now there's one saying here is one who is coming who's going to turn the hearts of people back to God and also when you look through the Old Testament accounts whenever someone was barren and God had blessed them with a child often that child grew up to be someone significant so people must have been thinking what has God up to now what's happening on the scene of God's overall plan of redemption well, a lot's going on. You've got a baby who's born for this set, God-ordained purpose to turn the people's hearts back to himself. Then there's a second child who's going to be born, which we're looking at today, who will not be one who turns people back to the Lord, but who will be the Lord come into this world. And in light of this news, we see responses of faithfulness, 
joy and praise or magnification, which is how we'll be looking through this passage this morning. Beginning with faithfulness. Now Mary was a young girl, probably in her early teens, not from a particularly significant family or anything like that. Remember, first century culture, women weren't really considered of value a great deal at all. She was also young, wasn't born into a wealthy family or a family of great status. Yet here she is, front and centre stage. Now we need to be honest for a moment. Every single one of us would be more than a little bit thrown if an angel came to us and started to speak to us about how we're going to have a child and how that child is going to be God's son who is the king who will reign forever. It's probably going to throw you a little bit no matter how stable you might think you are. I'd be really thrown by it because I'm not likely to be having babies, am I? No, I'm not even going to entertain what God, the fact that God can do anything, but just to obliterate that, that's not the notes, and for very good reason. However, Mary's biggest shock doesn't seem to be the fact that an angel appeared to her. Her biggest shock doesn't even seem to be the fact that she is told that she is going to have a child who is the son of God, who would be the one promised descendant of David who would reign on his throne forever. Her biggest troubling thing was the way in which she was addressed. The angel came and says, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Mary is a wonderful, godly woman and we'd do well to learn a lot from her. But not because she's immaculate or perfect, as has been taught in some church traditions. Not because she's got a certain degree of power or status. In fact, I think the person who would be most likely to correct the Roman Catholic view of who Mary is would be Mary. When Mary is told, oh, favour one, the Lord is with you, she's like, that doesn't, that doesn't sound right, it doesn't fit right, it, it makes me feel uncomfortable. In her own confession of a song, she is one of lowly estate, one who, who rejoices in God as her saviour. One who stands along with you and I who recognise our need for a saviour. When she's called favoured one, that troubles her. However, it didn't put her off and she continues to listen. And there's a fair bit to take in. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end." 
she's told, you will have a son. Now remember, she's betrothed at this point in time. She's not married to Joseph, hence why Joseph was a little bit concerned when she was pregnant and he sought to quietly divorce her, said because he was being a righteous man. But then the angel Gabriel also came to speak to him, say, no, it's all right, God has placed this child within her. But not only is she going to have a son, this son will be the son of the Most High. Or in other words, will be God's son. Will be the one who has an eternal kingdom of which there will be no end. Just think about it today. There are girls of that age who would struggle to cope with Instagram being down for 24 hours. How does Mary respond to the news that you're going to have a baby in your womb, that God's own son is, you are going to give birth to the one who will be the king forever? She doesn't seem to even bat an eyelid at that news. She doesn't seem to have immense problem with the privilege or the responsibility She's got a bit of a biology question, though. She realised babies aren't like weeds. They don't just pop up unexpectedly. And so in answer to her request, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. This child will come to you by the working of the Holy Spirit, will cause you to become pregnant. And as a result, this child will be a divine lineage, will be fully the Son of God. But also, as it comes through Mary, will also be fully the Son of David, as Mary stood in David's line of descendants. God, by his Holy Spirit, is doing a miraculous work in her body. Surely now she's got to be overwhelmed by all of this. Just one thing stacking up on top of another. But Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. How's that for faith? At a young age, being told that the Holy Spirit is going to place a child within you, That child is going to be the son of God, the king who reigns forever. And her first and only response is, let it be as you have said. God, I know your goodness. I know your character. No matter what you bring before me, I want it because everything you bring is good. It genuinely saddens me when people think, Let's not talk about Mary because if we do that, then we're starting to get a bit too Catholic. Now, if they're starting to make more of her than what the scriptures say, then let's just avoid her altogether. Don't do that. Don't avoid any part of God's word which is given for our profit. The more you avoid it, the more you fail to correct error and the more you fail to learn from the rich truths that are available and seeing and looking at Mary's example and what she teaches us through her song. She is an example to look to. Every single one of us should desire to have a faith like she had. After hearing such extraordinary things, 
Her conclusion is, if God said it, I want it. I know my God, I know his goodness, and regardless of how over the top it might seem, I want it because it's what he wants. We are like Mary, one of just servants of the Lord. And as we see and look upon his immeasurable goodness, may we forever say, let it be according to your word. Every page of the Bible, even some of the stuff that doesn't sit right with us, that we, makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable, might, it, might sort of speak against some of our own personal convictions. Say, so I want that. Let it be. Let what you have decreed for your people be true in my life, even the hard stuff. A person who has come to trust God like this is a person who has seen who has tasted and seen that the Lord is indeed good. It also speaks of joy. Now Mary has been told by the angel Gabriel that her relative Elizabeth is also pregnant, uh, the one who, who was Zechariah's wife, and she goes off to visit Elizabeth. Now I imagine for a long time, from the moment that Mary heard from Gabriel... She's probably had a lot going on in her mind, sort of, just sort of processing everything that's been said and probably pondering it as she's walking along the way, thinking, how do I tell my relative what I've been told? What if she admits me to the psych ward? Now, as far as we know, Mary didn't need to tell Elizabeth anything. Elizabeth seems to have been made aware of it by the Holy Spirit. But what's even more surprising is, who was the first person to recognise Jesus? Wasn't a scribe, wasn't a priest, wasn't a Pharisee. It was an unborn child who leapt with joy at the baby Jesus still in Mary's womb. So for those who think a child has nothing to offer, just a pile of cells until they're born, then here is one who has rejoiced in the presence of the coming Saviour. John was filled with the Holy Spirit according to John, Luke chapter 1.15, even before he was born. And as the Holy Spirit delights to point people to Jesus, even just from within the womb, knowing that Mary had come and the Lord Jesus being formed within her, He leapt with joy in the presence of Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He brings glory to the Son, as he did also in the life of of Elizabeth. When she was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Holy Spirit is still at work in doing that. In awakening people's hearts that they may see the truth of who Jesus is. 
And as they come to recognize Jesus rightly as it is, that it brings them nothing but fullness of joy to come to know him. Colossians 1.16 tells us he is the one who created all things, were created through him and for him. And when the Holy Spirit awakens us for us to recognize the one for whom we were made for, there is no greater joy. Every week as I prepare to speak, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit might do that work to point people to Jesus that they might find their joy in the one to whom they were made for. That people might be reconciled, restored to their creator in fullness of joy. Oops. Magnifying or praising the Lord, not title goes here. I've missed it two weeks in a row now. This song of Mary... As I said, nowhere does the Bible actually call it a song, just like it doesn't actually specifically call most of the Psalms a song. But it's such a shame when people avoid it thinking, oh, that's a, that's a Mary thing, as though Mary is somewhat separate from the rest of Scriptures. There are wonderful, deep truths in her song. Recognising God, things that we would desire to... to to respond and emulate that we would have that same desire for God that she has. The whole heart and foundation of the song comes in that opening line where Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. That opening phrase is literally, My soul makes great the Lord. My soul enlarges the Lord. Now, God can't be made bigger than he is. He is is infinite. But think kind of like a a magnifying lens. It kind of lets you to see something in all of its fullness, to behold some of the beauty, the admire, the details that you might not see from afar. What Mary proclaims is at the core of her being, she loves to know the Lord. She loves to know him more and more and to make much of him. And no matter how much she has already come to know, she longs to know more and more. And her spirit within her rejoices in God, her saviour. The idea that Mary could be presented as perfect is nowhere in the scriptures. Mary, of her own confessions, rejoices in God as her saviour. You could summarise that opening phrase from her innermost being. She is consumed by his greatness and filled with joy because of who he is and what he has done. Who wouldn't like their own spiritual life to be described in that way? That we are so consumed by the greatness of our Lord, so overjoyed in who he is and what he has done. And because she was so consumed by his greatness and joy, naturally, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
Her speech brings forth praise. Her praise begins with the recent revelation that she was going to bring the Lord Jesus into this world. And then she keeps working her way backwards. How God has been consistent to all of his promises throughout all of history, to all of his people. We see Mary as one who is very well familiar with the scriptures. She knew the scriptures. She knew the character of her God. She knew the way in which God has dealt with his people for all time, going all the way back to God's promises to Abraham to be a blessing to Abraham and all of his offspring from Genesis 12. And all the stuff in between showing how God has been faithful to working out all of his promises. A heart that magnifies the Lord produces lips that will bring praise to the Lord. I hope when you read this passage, it's not just that familiar, oh, it's that Christmas reading. Oh, oh, it's that Mary song. I pray that it be a blessing to you, but also that it encourages you to think, man, I want a zeal and a passion after God like that. Don't ignore Mary. All scripture is profitable. To avoid any part of it is to our own peril. But fair enough, also do not make more of Mary than what scripture allows us to make of Mary. To say that she's been always perfect goes against the very content of what she says about herself. And it also makes it totally unrelatable to us, unhelpful to us who are not perfect and know we're not perfect. But in light of the news of the coming of God's Son, the everlasting King, she is an example in faithfulness, joy, and praise and magnification. And as the people who live this side of Jesus Christ, on the cross and his resurrection, we are still to be people of faith, joy and magnification. We are to be people of faith that when the Lord reveals something to us through his word, we don't weigh it up in light of our personal preferences. We say, Lord, may it be as you have spoken to me. A Christian should never resist the will of God because all of his will is an expression of his character and all of his character is good. Christians should be people of joy. Our hearts should be filled with joy at the presence of Christ who dwells in us by his Holy Spirit and his Holy Spirit is still at work awakening the hearts of people that they might see Jesus for the truth of who he is and as they see and recognise who he is Rejoice and delight that he is the perfect saviour that we all need. I pray that it be a joy that many would come to know not only on this day, but around the world as people gather and reflect upon the importance of Jesus Christ coming to the world this Christmas. And lastly, of magnification. May it be true of you and I that we can say, My soul magnifies the Lord. From the very depths, the innermost parts of who I am, may I make much of this Lord. 
May our hearts be consumed with his glory, ever, ever seeking to want to know more. And out of the overflow of hearts that just want to know him more and more and more, may his praises be forever on our lips, proclaiming his glory. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we don't want to overlook any part of your word. In fact, many of us may need to confess that we have kind of skimmed over parts pertaining to Mary to our own detriment. Lord, we want to have a heart that yearns for you like no other. We want to say that our soul magnifies the Lord, that we, that we rejoice in the God who is our Saviour, who is our Saviour past, present and future. Lord, we pray for the, the work of your Holy Spirit with, that is within us, that desires and, and longs for, for closeness, for intimacy with the Lord Jesus. And Lord, we pray too for people, not only in Toowoomba, but for all around the world, that your spirit might be awakening people's eyes and hearts to see Jesus for who he truly is, that the spirit might direct them with joy to the only, one and only name under heaven and earth by which we can be saved. In his name we pray. And for your glory, amen.